Welcome to the Made for Memories podcast, where we explore the sport and business of fishing and the great outdoors in Canada. Presented by Len Thompson and Northern King Lures. Here are your hosts, brother and sister duo, Brad Pallister and Jessica Pallister Dew. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Made for Memories podcast. Today, Brad and I have opted to skip our intro because we have an amazing guest and a lot of information to cover today. So without further ado, let's get started. So today we welcome Todd Zimmerling, President and CEO of the Alberta Conservation Association. The ACA's mission is to conserve, protect, and enhance the fish and wildlife populations and their habitats for Albertans to enjoy, value, and use. Todd has been with the ACA for 16 years, and he's here to answer all of our questions. You bet. That sounds like me. You ready? You ready for this? I think I am. Did we miss any like key points in your biography, like your favorite color or? Well, I'm colorblind, so uh, oh. yeah. So I don't really have a favorite color. I guess dark colors like blue. Or at least I think it's blue. My wife tells me it's blue, but it might not be. So you might be able to kind of provide some insight. So fun fact, Len Thompson was colorblind. Okay. And we always have this theory that maybe he saw things like a fish, which is why he really liked the yellow-red combination. He could see those colors better than anything right. else. Is yeah. that correct for you as well? Uh, well, I can certainly, certainly see the yellow-red combination quite well, and I would certainly, I could see the very distinct difference between the two colors making it much easier for somebody who has any type of color blindness, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I could see him leaning towards something like that. Yep. That's the theory. Unfortunately, the the history has gobbled up why there was five diamonds, but right. we're, pretty, we're pretty confident that's why the yellow and red was there anyway. So. Okay, yeah. No, that would make sense to me. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, there you go. Already, I learned something already. I had no idea. I... So, I'd, uh, tell us a little bit more about the Alberta Conservation Association for people that maybe uh, are out of province uh, in particular, because I think if you're in province, you probably know about it. But tell us about uh, about the Alberta Conservation Association. Well, I certainly will. And and um, and not just for those out of province. We always hope that people within province would know, but we just finished a public survey um, about three weeks ago that shows without prompting, uh, less than 5% five, 5 of the people can identify Alberta Conservation Association as a conservation group in the, in Alberta. Worse yet is 50% of Albertans can identify any conservation group in Alberta. So <laughs> so I'll, I'll provide the background ACA for not just those people out of province, for those people here as well. So okay. um, so we are very unique in that we are, we're a not-for-profit organization, but we're also a delegated administrative organization under the Wildlife Act. So basically what that means is we work very closely with the provincial government and um, we receive funds from every hunting and fishing license that somebody purchases in this province. So if you buy a $18 fishing license here in Alberta, uh, the vast majority of those funds are coming to ACA. And we take those levy funds, uh, we try to multiply them by going to various uh, uh, corporate partners, uh, we get donations from uh, individuals, we go to cities and municipalities and, and try to grow those funds. So we usually get about 14, 15 million dollars from levies and hunting and fishing licenses, and then another four to six million dollars a year from other donations and, and other grants we can get. And we take those and put them back into uh, conservation. So 
we have four main areas that we work in. Uh, the first one, and the one I guess we'll talk a little more about today, is the fishing side of things. So our our fisheries program area does everything from uh, lake aeration to uh, stocking to doing um, research on bull trout, for instance, spawning areas, things like that. Looking at trying to improve uh, fisheries access or fish access up streams by dealing with crossing issues and um, and trying to provide access. So we, we sort of have two main keys. We're trying to ensure that we can conserve important habitat throughout Alberta for the future, but also ensuring there's an opportunity for you as a stakeholder, a hunter, an angler, or someone who wants to go uh, pick berries can actually go on these sites and, and use the areas without having to ask permission. Permission, of course, as anybody knows in Alberta is getting more and more difficult um, with a large and large population. So that's part of our goal is not just the conservation for um, the species of wildlife and fisheries are concerned about, but also for our stakeholders to have an opportunity as well. And then a fourth main area would be the communications and education side of things, which I think anybody in conservation nowadays knows that that is probably the biggest part of what we need to do more of. That is a heck of a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah, it would be a lot easier from my point of view if we just did one of those things, no doubt about it. A lot easier to manage one, but yeah, we're, we we got a lot of things going on at ACA. We have a staff of, of 80 and the vast majority of them are, are biologists. So they're on the ground, um, spread out through, across Alberta, doing on-the-ground work with uh, landowners and stakeholders and, and trying to uh, improve our, our opportunities on the conservation side of things. So in summary, research, land um, management or accessibility, land, whatever, land, uh, wildlife management, whatever you want to call it uh education and what was the last one the fish fish wildlife land and education would be our our four main fish points wildlife. yeah yeah okay very cool so before yeah. we hit record on this podcast todd you had mentioned that you come from a biology background or biologist background so uh just should, tell us a little bit about your career and what brought you to the aca Oh, okay. How far back do we want to go? I was born in a little town, that kind of far back, or just university side of things? On a dark and stormy night. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> I, I walked uphill both ways in the snow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I went to uh, U of A for my undergraduate work uh, to get a, a BSc. Um, I had started actually, I was going to be a dentist. That was my plan. And I've always loved being outdoors and hunting and fishing. And I figured, well, if I was a dentist, I could probably get away just working maybe three days a week. And the rest of the time, I could be off hunting and fishing all the time. So um, I didn't get accepted into dental school until my fourth year uh, at university. And by that time, I was finishing up my degree as a biologist. And I thought, well, I don't really want to start in a different direction. I was kind of enjoying the biology a lot. So I got into biology because I wanted to work with with wildlife and I didn't like people and I didn't want to have to deal with people. So I thought, Hey, if I get into this, I can spend all my whole life in the bush. And, um, you know, after I graduated, my wife and I started our own consulting firm in uh, British Columbia, working mostly with forestry industry to start. And we grew that to have offices in Alberta and uh, in Yukon as well, and started working in oil and gas and mining. And from there we, uh, we got to the point that our company was big enough that we were too big to compete with the little two-person operations and too small to compete with the 10,000-person operations. And so we ended up selling out. And then an opportunity came up to get back to the reason I actually became a biologist working for Alberta Conservation Association. I found as a consultant, it was, it was lucrative and it was interesting. I learned a lot. 
but I wasn't spending much time actually dealing with fish, wildlife, hunting, fishing, those kinds of things that's really got me into it in the first place. And uh, when the opportunity for, with ACA came up to, to move into the senior position here, um, it really intrigued me. So I came and met with the board and uh, turns out they liked me and I liked them. And uh, yeah, as they say, that's, that's history. I, I got into, uh, ended up being the present CEO and now I don't deal with wildlife or fish at all. I just deal with people, which is, <laughs> which, um, which you love people. Which, yeah, right? which is, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I look at, and you know, I'd say probably most people in senior positions, biology are in the same position I am. We didn't, we never went into biology because, oh, we're people, we're, we're the type of people who want to deal with more people. We went in because we like the outdoors and wildlife. And uh, you always find that, well, in the end to do conservation work, it's actually, it's a people issue. It's not a wildlife issue or a fish issue. It's a people but issue. It's the same, you know, everybody say, I'm sure Jess has heard this tons, but, oh, you own a fish company. You must fish a lot. You must just, you, that's a must not be all of what you do. Well, no, 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 no. I spend most of my time building fish hooks so that you guys can go and fish. Yep. Yep. Most of your time in the office instead of away from the office, right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, exactly. How much uh, fishing and hunting do you do personally? Well, so I actually am lucky enough to do a lot because my entire family has always been into it. My wife is a, well, anybody who knows me knows it's actually my wife who does all the big game hunting successfully anyways and catches all the big fish and mostly yeah mostly I'm just there to haul things out of the bush for her um so it works real well on her side of things and I've got a a son and a daughter right now they're about 24 and 25 years old but uh they grew up hunting and fishing and loving it so yeah we spend every weekend uh fishing during the summer and out hunting in the fall I want to change gears a little bit, hone in on something you said a couple of questions ago. Um, when we go and buy a fishing license, specifically in Alberta, um, you were saying a significant portion of that, or hunting, I guess you said, a significant portion of that goes towards the ACA's general funding. So, you know, this is kind of a, a podcast about the business and and pleasure of working in the back, in, in the outdoors. I'd like to know a little bit more about how that how that works because I think maybe people don't realize or assume that when they're buying a fishing license it's going to the government's general coffers so maybe walk us through a little bit about the impact that that everybody is making towards conservation when they when they when they buy that fishing license as opposed to cursing uh, the the Alberta government for taking 30 or 50 bucks out of their pocket. Yeah, I, and I, I wouldn't normally say, you know, don't be hard on the government on things. But in this case, I would suggest people shouldn't be hard on the government if they're upset about the, what the cost is, because the reality is very little of what you pay for one of those licenses goes back to the government. Uh, like, say, depending upon which license you buy, um, your 75 to 80 percent of the cost actually comes directly to Alberta Conservation Association. Then there'll be there'll be a fee that goes to um, the company that runs the, the licensing systems, the Alberta realm system itself. And then if you're happen to be buying it from a Canadian tire or I mean, wherever Cabela's, whoever they get a fee as well. So in the end, very little of it actually goes back to the provincial government. Um, but the portions that, that come to us, yeah, they, they, we get it off um, every hunting and fishing license that is sold in the province or the resident or non-resident. And it comes back to us as well as um the tags and for big game, the application fee that you submit every year for being able to shoot your big elk or your, your mule deer, those applications, uh, that fee comes back to us as well. So that's where we get the biggest chunk of our funding right now. And so the, for clarity, uh, how much 
uh, how much, how big is the string that the government has to pull uh, to uh, to to dictate where those funds go, or is it is it is it an arm's length organization, or are they on the board, or how does that work? So yeah, so we are arm's length, and but the government does have one representative on our board, and so we've got eleven member groups. Uh, that are represented on our board. And then you've also got the government representative. And then we've got uh, six members at large as well, the center board. So a fairly big board, uh, which the government has you know, one, one vote on, on what's going on. Um, so that, that's sort of at the governance level, uh, you know, the, the 50,000 foot, where, which direction we're going to go. On the day-to-day operational level with respect to what specific projects we're going to work on, we have an agreement in place with the, the ministry, um, well, technically Minister of Environment, which doesn't exist anymore. So right now it's forestry and parks, I guess. Uh, it would be um, uh, Minister Todd Lowen would be the minister we would deal with. But we meet with those folks uh, every year and sit down and look at, okay, what are what are what we call high-priority conservation outcomes that the government is looking for? And... Um, we look at okay, well, what what do we hear are important from the stakeholder groups that we talk to and the people we're meeting with all the time? Uh, what capacities do we have? Uh, and uh, you know, from those conversations, we sort of come up with a, a list of here's some proposed projects that we think we can do that that can meet some important uh, requirements on the government side and also meet the requirements of our stakeholders. Once we come up with that that generalized list, we actually provide a draft annual operating plan to the board. So the board is the one in the end that approves it. Um, but the government has the ability to sort of influence that and saying, oh, these are really important issues from, from the minister's standpoint. And, you know, we'd really like it if you guys could work on these. Uh, and in some cases, we bring something forward and they say, yeah, that's not really a big priority for us as government. And, uh, you know, maybe there's a they're, they're thinking of doing something different, going a different direction. So we don't work on, on those projects, you know, that they, they sort of would put the, the brakes on. So I would say it's a, uh, it's a pretty good process of us sort of talking, sitting down, talking some, a little bit of give and take, but for the most part, because we're all biologists, all trying to get the same thing done. 75, 80% of what we come with, everybody agrees with right off the top. We've got, you know, 20, 25% that has to be talked about a little bit further, but most of the time we all are in agreement. Now, this is pretty important. We should work on these projects right away. So uh, on the, that topic of conflicting interests, I had written down this question because I imagine that you have to deal with a lot of different um, feedback. So it's a two-part question. One, how do you get feedback from anglers and what kind of tactics do you use? And two, how do you handle conflicting interests and priorities? Well, I mean, I think we get feedback all kinds of ways. Um, certainly, occasionally we'll put out um, surveys and we just did one uh, January, I think, uh, where we sent out a survey to anglers asking them, you know, where where do they like to fish? How many times? That sort of thing. It was done in partnership with uh, Travel Alberta. And we, we what we're trying to do is get a sense of where, we, where do people like to fish now what type of species would they like to fish for is there something we change in the stocking program that might drive more economic benefit to different types different areas of the province if we were to change species type or location and that sort of stuff so so we definitely get it feedback through uh, surveys we get feedback through um, social media uh, and a lot of times we get probably our most i guess re- relied upon feedback is just simply going to a lot of different stakeholder meetings. So we've got staff going to meetings all the time, talk about a wide range of issues. 
And at ACA, we're fortunate enough that we're we're small enough. Like I said, 85 people. It's not that's not too big an organization to ensure that we do have a good level of communication from, you know, the junior biologist right up to my office and everything in between. So we can talk about what are we hearing from our stakeholders with respect to this issue or that issue. So we Who try you, to. How do you define a stakeholder? Um, so we've got basically, I would say, a tiered system of stakeholders. We consider our anglers. Uh, hunters, trappers to be sort of our first level. Those are the people that we are getting our funds from that that we're directly talking to on a day-to-day basis. And then, um, um, sorry, I get back up. Our member groups would be our first tier. So the groups that make up the the um, board itself. So Trout Unlimited, Pheasants Forever, Alberta Fishing Game, uh, Alberta Outfitters, um, um Alberta Trappers. So we've got, like I said, uh, Nature Alberta, uh, Treaty 8. We've got our 11 member groups. So we get our feedback from them at a board level, obviously. And then we've got underneath that our our um, wind card holders who are the trappers and, and uh, anglers and hunters that we hear from uh, when we go to these meetings. And then, of course, the general public, because everything we're doing is still impacting in a positive or negative way the general public depending upon the individual's perspective, right? If we're trying to enhance habitat to get more um, more fish in a particular stream, well, that's that's a positive thing for the average uh, Albertan. They might not realize it at the, that point in time, but we're improving water quality or incre- improving the chances of a species at risk to maintain in, in the province, those kinds of things. So um, we, we get feedback from as many places as we possibly can. Um, and then, of course, because we get it from all over the place, there is nothing but conflicting feedback. Uh, <laughs> like nobody can ever agree on anything, right? So, uh, and that is, I would say, in the angling community, it is it probably is no more evident than in the angling community as to even people who are all in agreement that fishing is important as part of our life. We want to do lots of it. It's like, well, then, but are you a fly fisherman or are you a hardware fisherman? Are you a trout fisherman or are you a walleye fisherman? There's definitely different like brands of anglers. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Right. And, and, and you know, everyone's yeah. so passionate about it and has their specific species and their specific areas that are passionate about. Exactly. Or the different ethics, like how to hold a fish like yep. oh, very and, much different ethics catch and release versus catch and harvest stock trout versus native trout you know those 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 darn plastic trout that we put in all those fish fisheries right yep. um, yeah um you know how, to, to jess's point you know how do you balance that how do you well how do you it? i think you basically you said what my answer is going to be we try and balance as best we can right you you look at what type of feedback and you know, when I, and as oh, you've both been on social media, I'm sure a few times I've seen there's a good amount of feedback that really isn't worthwhile spending too much time thinking about. You know, that's a big chunk of, okay, that's not worthwhile. Someone's venting, someone's making statements that are based on no knowledge of the issue whatsoever. And let's get down to some real concrete feedback that is is potentially useful to us. How can we use that? So, um, but it is a balance act. There's no doubt about it. And um you know, depending upon sort of the the winds that are blowing one way or the other from year to year, we might change tactics based on what we're hearing from more or fewer people on a on a particular issue. Um, oh. w- what we do look at is year over year is there is there a consistent message that we're constantly hearing? For instance, you know, we're stock trout ponds are something we're constantly hearing. We need more of. We need more stock trout ponds, and we need more lakes aerated. All the time, we're hearing. 
people might disagree about where and, and what species are stocked or whatever, but they want more fishing opportunities. So, you know, how do we try and meet that, that thing that we know is constant all the time? Hmm. So since we're talking about stock trout ponds, um, I want to switch gears to that a little bit, but I'm going to, I'm going to throw a controversial question and don't dive into it too much. <laughs> it, well, it's not controversial to me, but people ask, okay. it's controversial to some bass in Alberta. Yep. What, like, you know, some people are just like, why aren't we putting bass in these trout ponds? Why aren't we like, you know, doing this, that, and the other thing. Uh, talk to us for bass for just a, just a minute or two, because I know that this is a deep hole we could dive into, and I, yeah. I want to go back to what we're actually doing here. Is, well, is, and I'd like to remind people that that Todd is a biologist, so yes. that he's a credible person to have comments on this topic. Yes. So talk to us about to, bass, and then we'll go back to the trout, the actual trout ponds right. that we. To to a point, remember, I did my master's on snowshoe hares and my PhD on porcupines. So bass okay. are a little different than both of them. But yeah, <laughs> I I can fake it with the best of them. So, um, so so why aren't we stocking bass? Um, well, one thing, the the bureaucratic reason is well, we don't have permission to do so. Uh, but ACA did undertake, uh, in partnership with the government, we did undertake a process a couple of years ago where we actually looked at what are the potential species that we could be stocking in these ponds? Because in some cases we're putting trout in ponds where the habitat itself, the water temperature and the water chemistry is not really that conducive to the trout. They don't do very well for most of the year. They might be okay in the spring where it's very cool, although this this spring was not cool at all, but normally we'd have a cool spring and then come this time of year, the water temperatures get too high and the trout just don't survive. So what are our options? And if we, if we believe the models that are out there, we're going to have warmer temperatures over time. So what are we doing? What are we going to change? So our guys took a look at a wide range of different species and looked at not just how well they would adapt to those kinds of water temperatures and water chemistry issues you may have, but how um, economical is it to actually get them and put and stock them? So, so for a species to be something we use for stocking, you have to be able to grow it relatively cheaply, transport it relatively cheaply, it has to survive the transporting process in the first place because it doesn't do much good to grow them in the in the hatchery and then they die in the truck on the way there. So they got to be relatively hardy, and then they got to be able to survive the types of of uh, water uh, chemistry and temperatures we have. And then the last one is is it catchable and something people actually want to catch? Now, obviously, bass is something that every angler here in Alberta would like to catch because we don't get an opportunity to do that, and anglers always want something new. So that's not an issue. The real issue on the bass side is currently being able to grow them in the hatchery in a in an economical way for us uh, is what makes it makes it sort of fall down the ranking of fish that we could use. Could it survive the water temperatures? Yes, for sure. But it's the economics right now. And when we did the assessment, really what fell out of that was catfish. So we've actually proposed bringing using catfish um, a hybrid, I believe is what we're looking at right now. And looking at whether or not we might be able to stock a hybrid catfish um, into some of these ponds because they can be grown economically, they can handle the water, they're certainly um, catchable. And where channel catfish exist in Manitoba and Ontario and in the States, people love to eat them. So our assumption would be people would love to eat them here as well. Um, so that's where we're at right now. Now, I was just in a meeting 
a week or so ago where apparently there's been some good work done on, I think it was a hybrid uh, bass in Ontario where they're looking at trying to improve the aquaculture effectiveness and efficiency of it. And if that works out, maybe bass do become something that it becomes economic to be able to stock. When you say um, hybrid, is that kind of like a tiger trout type of hybrid yeah. where you try to combine different genes? Yeah. And I think in our case, I think they were talking channel and blue catfish together uh, as a hybrid because that resulted in a faster growing, more hardy fish in the end. Um, the big issue we have right now, it's I think number two or number three in the food fish category down in the States, catfish. Um, so from an aquaculture point of view, they can be growing, they got all, all they know how to do it, but nobody down there produces sterile catfish. Like they don't understand why we would want a sterile fish. When they put these catfish into a pond, they want them to reproduce. They they want more of these things. And in our case, we would want to be very careful. We don't want to introduce a, a species that could have damaging effect on, on our native fish that are here. So we would be only looking at using sterile individuals like we do with our trout uh, stocking at this point in time. So that part of the technology still has to be developed as how do we make sure these things are sterile before they are put out into ponds. But, so we're a ways away from doing anything like that. But the initial assessment got us at the, hey, you know what, catfish is something we should probably look at. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I... I think that's one thing that I get asked about a lot in terms of uh, just general interest about other types of species. And it's interesting how quickly the angler moves on. Like tiger trout was just the amazing, greatest, best thing. Yep. Just, and then, and then now it's, it's uh, relatively plentiful in, in stock trout ponds. So uh, that's why I seem to be getting asked a little bit more about, you know, the bass. I haven't, I had never been asked about a catfish, but the bass side, I, I I get asked a few times. So, yeah, yeah, and it, there's no doubt if if we said we were going to stock bass, people would just go crazy. They'd be excited about something, a new opportunity. Which you know, it's human nature. It's something new, something different. A lot of us haven't fished for bass before, have heard about, it, or haven't done it in a very long time. Would like to do it. So I could see that being very popular. Yeah. I uh, I'd like to go back to the uh, the trout ponds. Mm -hmm. How many trout ponds do we have stocked in the province of Alberta? What is it, the ACA's role in that uh, in that program? And uh, talk to us about stock trout ponds in Alberta writ large. Okay, so ACA stocks 65 different ponds throughout the province. Um, now, the province also stocks fish out as well. I would say that we stock what could be nicely called bathtubs. If you, if you take a look at most of our ponds, they are pretty shallow and bathtub shaped. And um, in most cases, relatively poor fish habitat. Um, but we, whereas the province stocks up, I mean, we're stocking 120 some thousand trout every year and the province is stocking millions out. Uh, and they're getting to more of the the larger lakes, you know, the the chain lakes are being stocked, and uh, some of the reservoirs are being stocked. All those kind of, so they're doing what I would consider probably the the much better habitat uh, and the larger water bodies. Um, so the the stock trout ponds, uh, the ones we're doing at 65, and they're spread like I say throughout the province. And um, you know, the, our goal there is obviously to try to provide. In most cases, just a catch and really, or sorry, a, a catch and keep fishery with low expectations that these fish are going to survive over winter. Most of our ponds are less than three meters deep, so we wouldn't 
necessarily suspect in most winters that the fish are actually going to survive. Now, once in a while they do, and someone in the spring gets lucky, and then they end up with an extra big fish. But usually most of our ponds are set up that they're just, to, you know, hopefully they're all about fished out by the time, uh, you know, winter sets in and the ice is starting to um, get thick and, and we're losing the oxygen in those ponds. I really floored that you said that because one of the things that I get asked all the time because we're right down from the Len Thompson pond is, is it catch and release? And at our particular pond, the fish can winter, um, but standard regulations apply that you can keep five per trip. Um, Is there a reason that there's not uh, different regulations for different stocked ponds? Is it just a simplicity thing? Well, and see, here is the beauty of my position. Alberta Conservation Association has nothing to do with setting regulations. So I can sidestep these kinds of questions all day long and not have to worry about it. Please (laughs) contact your local biologist. Yeah. Um, Certainly, certainly there are, there are specific regulations for some of the ponds for sure that can be done. Um, you have to know a guy to like push in the right direction for that or you got to know the right guy to talk to in the first place. But usually what it comes down to is what was the original uh, management plan for the pond in the first place and my suspicion is if if in fact the fish can overwinter but yet you still have the the general regulation is the original manager plan that was written up was for um, basically a, a put and take fishery so if it turns out that you know you can overwinter fish and you'd prefer to have um, fewer fish taken out well then that would be that would be where stakeholders have to get together and talk to the regional biologist to determine whether or not it's acceptable to change the management plan yeah how's that for a political answer that's a great answer we (laughs) we have talked to the local biologist got a good relationship with them uh and uh the the thing that irks us a little bit is is when you put in the six inch fish and then People are there the next day taking the six inch fish and it's like, just give them a little bit of a chance. Like, yeah. you know, give them, they're not even that much meat on a six inch fish. Just give them a little bit of a chance to, yeah. to grow and get into a good fight. But that's yeah. where Jess is coming from. Again, it comes down to conflicting priorities too, right? Like some families do use these resources to feed themselves yeah, versus, sure. you know, Brad and I are very much of the opinion that that pond's an amazing place to to inspire new anglers and to take a kid fishing and to, you know, find somewhere accessible and local for, for people to gather. So anyways, thank yeah. you for your your political answer, but it was also <laughs> lightning. So thank you. Brad yeah, might have I- known that already, but I didn't. We, and, I, did. and, I didn't know that. Yeah. And we, and we deal with that kind of thing all the time. Um, issues around, for instance, perch in, in trout ponds. So, mm-hmm. you know, perch make, make an excellent fishery for kids in a little pond. Right? You're mm-hmm. never going to grow a giant perch in some of these little ponds, but boy, you can grow a lot of them. And, you know, we just had an event in Fort Saskatchewan this, this June and uh, it was historically only stocked with rainbow trout. And then, what is it, five, six years ago, we had the whirling disease scare where, where we, you know, a lot of stocking was shut down. And we had this event coming up and the government decided, well, we want to make sure there's some fish in there for the kids. We'll grab some perch from a local lake. We'll throw them in there. And they have. And those fish have done phenomenal. So where historically we've had, you know, 800 kids show up and catch two or three trout in the day of fishing at a kids can catch event this past year, we had that many show up and half of them caught perch and mm. they were, you know, 
two to five inches long at most. But boy, they were pretty excited about catching their first fish. Yeah. You know, when you're care. a kid, it does. Yeah, exactly. Kids don't. Yeah, so that's don't. where it comes down. Like, is this just going to be a kids don't care kind of fishery, or it is? You know, do we want to make it a, a more of a trophy fishery, or yeah, what type of fisheries do we want? And that's 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 where I'm happy that, like I say, we get to sidestep that and let the government biologist have to deal with the issue of okay, what type of fishery do we get here based on all the feedback they're getting. Cool. Uh, last question I'd like to ask. Uh, we could talk to you all day, apparently. Yeah, we, we said we do about 20 minutes of chit chat and we're at about 30. So, oh gosh. Okay. You know what? I, I'm going to ask this question anyways, just because I think that it's a great program. We've used it a lot at the Lacombe fishing game. Um, so tell us a little bit about the uh, community uh, and conservation and community grant program that the ACA offers. Um, how does one local conservation organization um, or I don't know, is it available to individuals? I'm not sure, but uh, work on a conservation project and how can they apply uh, to, to get aeration in, in a, in a local trout pond, like we did, for example, um, one of our two ponds here in town didn't have aeration and now it does thanks to the ACA community and conservation grant. So tell us about that program and then we'll move into rapid fire. Yeah. So if, if people, I mean, the simple answer, if people want to go to our website, Alberta Conservation Association website and look under grants, uh, you'll see, you know, your, your requirements there, but basically we have almost a million dollars a year that we give out through the, the conservation community and education grants and um, yeah, local clubs, um, individuals can under certain circumstances be able to get it, but usually it's community groups and local fishing game clubs and that sort of thing. They'll apply for usually small grants for usually somewhere between, you know, two and, you know, maybe 30,000, although sometimes it'll go higher than that. And it covers just about, just about anything and everything related to conservation and getting community out and educating and, and giving kids the first opportunity. And, um, you know, if I'm not mistaken, I think um, the local club there also got a grant previously for docks yep. um, and aeration and, and yeah, and habitat work happen is, is funded through that as well. Kids camps can get funded. Kids can catch events can be funded. So it really is a, a, a really good granting program for local small uh, groups to look at because the the process isn't that daunting um at least for most people it doesn't seem that that daunting and um yeah the, there's funding like i say for all those kinds of things that could help you improve your local pond no problem whatsoever and and good on the local community there in lacombe that you've taken advantage of that and, and done great work with with the money we've given you for it so it's been great well it's 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 mutually beneficial like it's it's good not only for local people here in in the in uh lacombe lacombe county but we get a ton of tourists that come through and utilize those those assets uh yeah um uh, like you said uh todd we got aeration we got docks um it it makes it so much more accessible um and the fish so much more healthy and they're not lethargic so uh whereas if it was a low oxygen pond they might just be sitting on the bottom just trying to breathe it's it's got lots of aeration so they're a little feistier and and, and healthier. So, uh, yeah, I would really encourage uh, other community organizations if they've got a pond that that's, that's, if they already have a pond, there's a lot of ways to make that pond that much better just by looking at aeration opportunities or even, you know, a little bit of accessibility, uh, um, projects. So, yep. uh, yeah, no, I highly recommend that. So thank you for talking about that. I want to talk, touch base about that. Cause I know we've seen a huge benefit of that in our 
two ponds here, the Lacombe Fishing Game manages. So, okay. Jess, shall rapid we start? Fire. Rapid fire. Yeah, okay, rapid fire. Okay, rapid fire. I think I'm ready. So, Todd, I told you the rules earlier, but I'm going to refresh your memory. Okay. So, I have eight questions lined up, and you get 30 seconds on the clock to answer this question. Now, what I didn't tell you is that Brad gets cranky with you if you go over the 30 seconds. Oh, okay. Um, right. He's the judge and juror. Juror. Juror, okay. Uh, of rapid fire. Um, and if you're ready to get going, then let's just dive on in. All right. Take a breath. Take a breath. You're going to do great. I believe in you. Sound like my mother. Well, I am a mother. <laughs> it comes out every once in a while. I believe in you, dear. <laughs> Question number one. You're in Edmonton area. Tell us your favorite fishing spot within an hour and a half of the city of Edmonton. Uh, Lac St. Anne. Why? Tell us your second favorite uh, fishing spot. <laughs> Wobman. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know exactly in the lake where I'm catching my fish or what? Both of those good, both, yeah. both of those lakes have fantastic walleye fisheries. If if you want to go out and catch a ton of walleye, uh both lakes are just full of walleye. Awesome. Question number two. You had mentioned oh, I got 30 seconds per question? Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh I thought it was eight questions of 30 seconds. <laughs> no. Oh well, no wonder you were so concise <laughs> well, yeah, on your like, first okay, answer. I'm gonna go real quick here. <laughs> we just made it a that whole heck of a lot fire. easier. That would be that super would be rapid. rapid. Okay, question well, number two. Okay. Uh, you had mentioned that you have uh two kids that grew up hunting, fishing, your wife's uh angler and a hunter. Um so this one might take you a second to think of, but what is your best all-time fishing memory with your family? Oh, wow. All-time fishing memory. You know, probably the one that comes to mind most often for me is the very first fish my son caught. We bought him a little tiny Mickey Mouse uh, fishing rod kind of thing, and we're out in a boat, um, and we set him up, let him drop his line down. We're fishing for a while, let the line drop down. And before I could get my daughter set up, he said, I think I got one. And we were pretty convinced he hadn't. He just hooked bottom. But no, it turns out he had actually had a walleye and caught about four pound walleye on that little tiny rod from Canadian Tire. And uh, yeah, I tell that story all the time. When both my wife and I kind of looked at one, and I'm like, oh, oh, he's actually got one. I don't know if this rod's going to hold up or not, but it did. And he landed his first fish. So you lose a point on that one. You uh, almost gained a point with your rapid fire on the first one, but... <laughs> It was over 30 seconds. All right. <laughs> okay. Question number three. What is the thing? Uh, oh, Brad, you're supposed to ask this. Sorry. No, that, that doesn't matter. What is the thing, project, or experience in your career you are most proud of? Thing, project, and career that I'm most proud of? Oh, that's a good question. I think I'm most proud of at this point, hopefully it, and I can maintain it, but is the reputation that ACA has been able to build uh, in the last 16 years when I've been here. I think we've really worked hard to be friends with the stakeholders and gain the trust of stakeholders. And I, I hope it's just not me feeling that and the stakeholders feel that too. Perfect. Question number four, what is the biggest challenge of your position as president and CEO of the ACA? People. That's easy. I'll just, I'm done. People. People are the biggest challenge. The, the, you know, the, I, I'll, 
you can start at 30 seconds again. I'll make sure I'm done on time. So it's it's people for sure, no doubt about it, because like I said, conflicting views. But the other challenge I've found more and more is young biologists coming out of school that have a misconception of what conservation is. Uh, we all come out of school under the assumption we need to manage fish and wildlife. And the reality is what we do for a living is we manage people's perception of fish and wildlife. And that is something I think every young biologist has to take stock of when they decide they want to do this. It, it's dealing with people for conservation. It's people you have to deal with. How uh, many biologists does the ACA employ? Uh, we've got 64, I believe, right now. Question number five. What is your most favorite ACA-managed conservation site and why? Hmm. Does it have to be a fishing site or can be any type of site? No, it can it be, can any be site. anything. Oh, well, then I would say uh, probably Golden Ranches, which is just uh, east of Edmonton here. It is a huge, I think we've got 14 quarter sections there all together. It's, and it's just 45 minutes east of Edmonton. And it's, it's fabulous. It's got ducks and geese and moose and elk and just a short drive from Edmonton. I just think it's a great opportunity for everybody. Cool. And we just need to dig a big hole and put some fish in there too. Yep. Well, it's right on Cook North Cooking Lake. If we just keep the water in North Cooking Lake, we could put fish in, but we've got a ways to go there to keep the water levels up. So, yeah. Fair enough. Question number six. This this was a question Brett Brad actually wanted to ask, oh. so I'm going to let him ask it in his own words. Well, and this I should ask this one not in the rapid fire. Uh, predatory birds. Talk to me about cormorants. How or other predatory birds, how is there any uh, refuge that anglers or conservationists can do, if any? Um, t talk to me about birds. Well, cormorants are definitely the scourge of, of uh, most stocked water bodies, no doubt about it. And um, yeah, short of things like getting damage permits to allow you to shoot cormorants, uh, I don't know of any other way to really deal with it. We were looking at... if. Are there different species of fish we might be able to use that might be uh, better suited for dealing with cormorants? Maybe perch, because uh, you know, they're more of a natural predator. They might be uh, better at avoiding cormorants. But at this point, we we can't deal with them any better than anybody else can. We struggle at our ponds. Yep. Fair enough. Question number seven. What is the ACA's most popular program or resource from a public engagement standpoint? Oh, well, our land management where we're buying properties, large tracts of lands, certainly gets a lot of interest and a lot of positive feedback for sure. And lots of people use those lands. But from, a, let's say, a year to year, a number of people contacting us and talking to us about program, probably a pheasant release program um, and the Tabor Pheasant Festival are two great big ones. I mean, the Tabor Pheasant Festival gets seven, eight hundred hunters down there every year. And lots of people are engaged in that one. And the kids can catch. Certainly, yeah. Kids can catch us right up there as well. There's lots of those things going on. And I think 22, we've got 22 different cat, kids and catch events. I mean, we're, we're not running them all by any means, but it's it's growing. We've got so many different groups doing it now that it, it's really taken off for sure. Yep. And last question. Any new projects on the horizon that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, we are going to uh, certainly look very closely into uh, catfish. 
like I had mentioned earlier, the possibility there, we're going to try and work with potentially the aquaculture department at the college in Lethbridge and see whether or not we might be able to play around with the catfish and figure out a way of making them sterile and, and look at whether or not that is a possibility over the next, you know, five or 10 years as a new stockable species. So I think that might be one that the average angler be interested in the follow in the future. Cool. Well done. Seven out of eight. <laughs> I feel so good. <laughs> Passed. All right, Todd. We asked you to prepare a fishing joke. Very last minute. Apologies for the crusher. So yep. when you're ready. What kind of music should you listen to while you're fishing? Something catchy. Something catchy. That's a dad joke for sure. Yeah, it's good. Those are the best ones to tell on the podcast. Yeah, I like haven't that. heard it yet either. The other version of that joke that I have heard is something with a lot of bass. Ah, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Todd, again, for your time no today, problem. your insights. And uh, before we go, can you just tell everybody where they can learn more about the ACA and your programs? Yeah, if you just want to type in Alberta Conservation Association on the World Wide Web there, you'll come up to our website and, um, and right across the top, there'll be a banner that talks about our work or if we want to go grants, you can click on there, uh, publications. So it should be all the information uh, that you want right there. And if you can't find it there, you're welcome to give me a call. It's 780-903-3377. That's my cell number. So, uh, Holy I, it's one thing that we do push is if we can't answer the question for, for our stakeholders, then there's a problem. So if you can't find what you're looking for, call me directly and we will find that information one way or the other. Excellent. Thanks for your time, Todd. Really yep. appreciate the insight and uh, uh, yeah, really enjoyed this conversation, maybe a little longer than we anticipated. Thank you very yep. much. All right. No problem. Thank you. Until next time, listeners, happy fishing. Happy fishing.